Please do join me now in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to the Gospel according to Luke. Uh, not turning to chapter 5, but headed, heading back to chapter 1. As we look to God's Word, let's look to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, our most gracious and merciful God, Father, as we just sang Your word cannot be broken. Your word is not broken. Father, help us as we spend time in your word. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to grow in our understanding, grow in our appreciation, grow in our thankfulness, grow in our comfort. That all the promises you have made are yes and amen in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. There's a certain genre of music, a certain style of music that's in the air, it's on the radio, it's outside on sidewalks, it's inside in stores. Now it could be country music, you know, the Nashville sound, and, or it could be one of my favorites, old soul music, you know, the Motown sound, or the little known but outstanding, the sound of Philadelphia. It could be rap or hip hop. It could be electronic dance music. It could be bluegrass. I mean, we are in Kentucky, right? But it's not. Rather, it's the music of Christmas. It's the sound of Christmas. It's listening to Christmas music and singing Christmas songs. Now, there's a good reason not only we do that, but people in general do that. They, they follow our lead because we get the lead from God's Word. In fact, if you're ever curious, you can go to the Trinity Hymnal and you can find that the biggest section of hymns, the largest collection of one genre, one style, one theme of music goes from hymn 193 all the way to hymn 233. It's in a section called His Advent, His Birth. So us singing Christmas music is not without good reason. The the community around us has followed the church, as it were, in, in the church's lead, and the church gets it, as we will see more and more, beginning today, from God's Word. In particular, uh, beginning today, but really next four weeks after today, we're going to be looking at the songs of the Incarnation. And they're found in the first two chapters of Luke. And as we will see, there are two songs before the birth of Jesus and two songs after the birth of Jesus. And together, these four songs uh, present the sound of the Incarnation. Incarnation, a mystery to be sure. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, becoming man, becoming flesh. It's a reminder just in thinking about the Incarnation that Christianity is not man becoming God, but rather God becoming man. It's not the ascent and the arrival of man, it's rather the descent 
and the arrival of God. As Rob had mentioned, here we are in Advent. Looking, we're singing songs about the first Advent, but also it can't but also turn our hearts toward the second Advent because we long to see His appearing. Advent, waiting, a time of waiting for the coming of the Messiah, waiting for God to come to man. Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at several songs. I want to give you the playlist. I was going to say like CD, you know, tracks on a CD, but nobody says that anymore. It's what's on your playlist. So here's what's on the playlist. And all of these titles of these songs come from the Latin translation of the New Testament, the Vulgate. Next week, we're going to listen to the Magnificat by Mary. And then after that, we're going to listen to the Benedictus by Zechariah. And after that, it's the Gloria in Excelsis Deo, not by a solo artist, but rather by a group, the angels. And then finally, we'll wrap up with that concluding song, the Nunc Dimittis by Simeon, by Simeon who had seen the salvation of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ. One commentator, I think, rightly captures these four songs in saying that they are, quote, the last of the Hebrew Psalms and the first of the Christian hymns. Well, where have we been so far in Luke? Well, of course, a number of weeks ago, we looked at the prologue, those first four verses of Luke, and Luke shares his purpose and his plan, the what and the why of his gospel. He presents an orderly account that you may have certainty. He's got a purpose and he's got a plan. But now we're moving from the prologue to the prelude, the prelude to the songs of the incarnation. And as I mentioned, it's verses 5 through 38 of chapter 1. Now, in this prelude that we will focus our time and attention on for a few moments today, we will see that it's an announcement of the conception and the upcoming births of two children of promise, John and Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. And here in the prelude is this transition from the Old Covenant or the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I, I keep never being able to get away from saying that, of course, it is promises made and promises kept. Here in the prelude, I think we will see this is where old and new meet. Now, before we move on, I want to make an important point. Notice the title, Two Children of Promise, not Two Children of Potential. You know, unless you're self-employed, you've got a boss. And one of the jobs of the boss, of course, is to evaluate, to grade, to, ra to uh, rate his or her employee. Now, back in my days in the Navy, we had fitness reports for officers and evaluations for enlisted personnel. And you would often see, after the numbers were put out, you would see words to the effect of these. So-and-so has unlimited potential. 
Now, there are two ways to interpret that. One is, I'm not very good. Because it's potential, it's not performance. Or, it can be interpreted like this, I'm going to work really hard to fulfill my potential. But my friends, we are not going to be talking about potential today. We're going to be talking about promise and being encouraged by promise instead of, as often is the case, being discouraged by focusing on potential. You see, John and Jesus are not men of unlimited potential. Rather, they are the fulfillment of the promises of God that he has made and the promises of God that he has kept. You see, everything God has said he would do, he has done. John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth, we will see, are not born according to nature, but against nature, by grace, supernatural. And a, 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 a supernatural breaking in to the natural world. Now, because our text is lengthy but important, uh, this will be our plan today. We'll read them. We'll make a few comments about each of them and then compare and contrast them, noting how they are similar and how they are different, and what we can learn from Luke's decision to include this backstory, this prelude to the four songs of the Incarnation. So verses 5 through 25 are the announcement of the upcoming arrival of the first child of promise. Join with me as I read verses 5 through 25. And if you don't have a Bible, we should have them in the um, pews. Uh, It may be helpful to get a larger print Bible um, as well. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah." 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The announcement of the upcoming arrival, that is the promised conception and promised birth of this first child of promise. Let's think about the overall summary of what's going on here. You've got a childless couple, an old couple, a barren couple. You've got an angel visitor. You've got an announcement of a promised son. We see also that there is an unbelieving priest, Zechariah, and his chastisement. Let's look at a few highlights You see, the angel announcement here links the last promise of the Old Testament with the first promise of the New Testament because there was an announcement that was going to be a forerunner to come to prepare the way of the Lord. And all the New Testament writers recognize that John, John, son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, is this promised forerunner. We've already seen a little bit of his ministry as we've looked at... um, Luke so far. And what is his name? His name, you shall call his name John. The Lord is gracious. That's what John means. I mean, John is a common name, right? We've got some here in this congregation, right? John, the Lord is gracious. And this man will have a mission. And we see that in verse 17, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I hope you know that we could spend hours going through all the details about what kind of priestly service he was doing and the stigma of being barren, uh, not having a child. And those are all good to think about, but... But the big picture here is you've got a childless couple. You've got the unexpected intrusion of an angel visitor. And out of that encounter, you've got the promise of a son whose very name says the Lord is gracious, who is going to prepare people, who's going to lead people, as it were, 
to be prepared for the arrival of the Messiah. Now Luke here will move from the announcing the birth of John the Baptist to announcing the birth of Jesus. The mighty work of God through John's conception and ministry will be surpassed, far surpassed by the greater miracle, not of a barren older woman, but a younger woman, a virgin. And not only the work of John being great, but now the greater work of the one to come, Christ. And so let's move on to this announcement of the upcoming arrival of the second child of promise. We see that in verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, let's summarize this section in a few words. You've got the Virgin Mary. You've got a description of the Virgin's child. And then you've got some explanation about the virgin conception. Another angelic encounter. And here are a few highlights. She, like Zechariah, was told what this child's name was going to be, and it was going to be Jesus. Hebrew, Joshua, meaning the Lord saves. And just as John had a mission, so does Jesus He's, as we read in the description, he's the son of God. He's the great son of the most high. And he will reign over a kingdom that will have no end. And we see that in verses 32 and 33. I mean, how do you summarize everything that Jesus will do? Well, it's at the beginning of Mark. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel Here, the mission is Jesus is going to establish and rule and reign over a kingdom. 
that will have no end. John, the last of the Old Testament prophets, the one in Luke 7, Jesus says, among men, no one greater has arisen than John. Here is the meeting of the old and new and Most of the time we think of the gap between the old and new, the gap between Malachi and Matthew. You know, you look at your Bibles and there's really not a gap, right? There's a a cover page, New Testament. But interestingly, that gap is not 400 years of silence. It's more like six months. Six months between John the last of the Old Testament prophets, and, and Jesus, the one who will, who will bring to fruition the promise of the new covenant. Now let's compare and contrast these two announcements, noting their similarities as well as their differences and making a few comments on their significance. Well, how are they similar? Well, obviously, it's the same angel, Gabriel, Only Gabriel and Michael are named ever in scriptures as angels with names. And Gabriel shows up just a few times here with Zechariah and here with Mary. And when the angel shows up, there is understandably the same response. Fear. Anytime man, woman, boy, girl encountered anything resembling the divine, there is fear. And yet... There are the same words of assurance. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There's not only the same angel, the same initial response, the same words of assurance. There's the same promise of birth. You who are beyond years are going to have a child and you who have not yet had sexual relations, you are going to have a child. And both of their names are revealed, and with their names, the significance of who they would be and what they would do. So there's some similarities between both announcements, but of course there are some differences. One is the announcement is made to an old man, And the announcement is made to a young girl. The old man and the old woman, even though he was one of thousands of priests, he was a priest. He was a somebody living on the outskirts of Jerusalem in the hill country of Judea. He's an old man. He's a somebody. And she's a young girl, a nobody. You've got two expectant mothers, but you've got an old woman, a senior citizen, who's barren. You've got a young girl, a teenager, somewhere probably between 12 and 16, who's who's a virgin. And they also respond differently to this announcement. Zechariah's response could be summarized by this word. Unbelief. Mary's response could be summarized by this word, belief. And so at the heart of these two 
sections of the prelude, at the heart, at least when it comes to man, is unbelief versus belief. Look how Zechariah expresses his unbelief in verse 18. How shall I know this? He's been told this, but how shall I know it? And yet contrast that with Mary's belief in verse 34. How will this be? Zechariah, I want to know how I'm going to know this. Mary is like, how will this be? There's not only belief, but there's willing submission. We, we read, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Oh, Mary, elevated to a extra biblical degree by some sections of the church. And yet not recognized, not appreciated, not looked to as the example that she is for all of us. As someone who humbly submits to the Lord, acknowledges that they are a servant of the Lord. And trust in the word of the Lord. You know, this this whole story that we've read is extraordinary, right? Extraordinary, these, the promise of these two births. And yet, really at the heart of this, if you want to focus on one or the other, the focus is on Mary. She's not extraordinary. She's ordinary. She's unknown. But also, let's think about what may be at the heart of this when it comes to God. You see, when we look at the scriptures, we should, of course, ask questions about who's the, how's this, what does this tell us about man? What does this tell us about me when I look in the mirror? But also, what does it tell us about God as we look in the window of his word, as he reveals himself to us at the heart? When it comes to God, I believe is this, God's gracious action on behalf of both. I mean, let's go back to the names John and Jesus, the Lord is gracious and the Lord saves. The Lord is gracious and the Lord saves. Um, Is that the first thing you think about when you think of God, that he's gracious and that he saves? Or he's angry and he punishes? Do you think of him being gracious and generous? Or do you think of him being ungracious and stingy? Here, God is revealing himself, even through these names, that he is gracious and he's a savior. Look at the angel words to Mary. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. What did Mary do to deserve this? You know, the bad translation, hail Mary, full of grace. Bad translations lead to bad doctrines. Favored. Mary, you're favored. The Lord is with you. I mean, think about that combination. 
the favor of God is expressed here that He is with you, for you. You have found favor. Found favor. She didn't go looking for it. She found it. Because God set His purpose on her. Now, did you hear me say God's gracious action on behalf of both? Zechariah, come on. He didn't believe. You know, I mean, right then and there, young girl believes, old, mature man doesn't believe. Think about that for a moment. But notice, the angel says, I'm bringing you good news. I'm bringing you good news. I think it's in verse 19. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And what does the angel do representing God to Zechariah? He rebukes him, right? You're not going to be able to speak. Most likely, you're not going to be able to hear either until what I have promised, what God has promised, takes place. And interestingly, in this rebuke, he is being assured by the promise that he will be made silent until it is fulfilled. Now, isn't that interesting? Even when God disciplines us, chastises us, rebukes us, He's gracious, he's kind, he's merciful. I mean, the author to the letter of the Hebrews would say that about the relationship between a good father and a son. So at the heart, when it comes to man, is this unbelief versus belief, but at the heart, when it comes to God, is God's gracious action toward both. Both one who doesn't hesitate and one who hesitates. Our text is not only the prelude to the songs of the incarnation, those four songs that we'll be looking at, two that take place before the birth of Jesus and two after the birth of Jesus, but they serve also, this serves as a prelude to the entire gospel. Because the effect of opening the gospel this way in which John is a foil to Jesus... Now, what's a foil? A foil is a literary device that draws attention to or sets off the main element. See, Luke is wanting to heighten the anticipation for the coming of Christ and to show his greatness by way of comparison with John. Now, as great as John is, as miraculous as the circumstances that surround his birth are, his calling is to prepare the way for someone who is infinitely greater. Remember what John says? He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew his relationship with Jesus. See, John is is not only the forerunner of Jesus, but he's also the one who, like all of us, is subordinate to Jesus. Jesus. So that's the prelude to the four songs that we'll be listening to over the next four four weeks. Now let's move from looking back to the stories of these two children of promise and for a moment look ahead to the story that there will be many 
children of promise. My friends, Christians are children of promise. They are not the fulfillers of potential. Every religion other than Christianity is one of potential. Do this and whatever God will do that. If I do this, that God will do that. If I will fulfill my potential, that God can't but do this or that for me. But Christianity, in distinction from everything else, is one of promise. God has done this. Now believe. I mean, Paul, in his letter to the church in Galatia, has to remind them over and over again of the good news of the gospel. He says this in chapter 3, verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The promise given to those who believe, that is people who have received and are resting on Christ alone for salvation. Later, he makes it really clear in chapter 4, now you brothers, like Isaac, as he's recounted the history of Israel. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. That is, they are children by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, speaking of songs and the music and promises, we're not going to sing it today, but we often sing it as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, we sing these words, Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us, and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. And we often sing, and the men sing or read every month, These lines from Though Troubles Assail Us. The promise assures us the Lord will provide. This heart-cheering promise the Lord will provide. My friends, these two children of promise, John and Jesus, were the culmination and the fulfillment of so many promises that are being fulfilled in Nazareth. In Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. This was the prelude to the songs of the incarnation, the sound of the incarnation, and the melody, the melodic line that's going to run through all of these songs is promises made. And promises kept. Promises made and promises kept. Promises made and promises kept. My friends, are you listening? Can you hear? Let's pray. Oh, Father, be pleased to do a good work in your people, not only do we show up deaf and dumb, blind, 
But so often, Father, we put our fingers in our ears and we put a blindfold over our eyes. Oh, Father, give us grace that we may take the fingers out of our ears and remove the blindfold from our eyes that we may hear you, that we may see you. Oh, Father, help us to live our lives in accordance with the melody that we will hear over and over and over again that all the promises that you have made are promises that you have kept. Father, help us to hold on to you knowing that even though our grasp is at times weak and frail, your hold on us will never fail. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.